So the big question is this. How are candidates like us, who don't have big money donors, who are spending money out of our own pockets to get elected, how do we get our message out, raise enough money to win, target the right voters, and yet still remain true to what got us into politics to begin with? That is the question, and this podcast will give you the answers. My name is Matt Wyatt, and welcome to Campaign Secrets. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of Campaign Secrets. My name is Matt Wyatt, coming to you from Louisville, Kentucky. It's a beautiful day outside. It's warm. Getting ready to take a walk with my dog. And I got to tell you, one thing I think about often when I'm taking a walk is fundraising. Of all the things that I've done in politics for the over the last 30 years, the hardest conversations that I've ever had with candidates is how are we going to raise money? You know, because every campaign is actually like a startup business. It's really like a startup. You've got a million things going on at once. You've got to come up with a message. You've got to come up with a team. You've got to come up with how you're going to connect with voters, communicate with voters. But really, the most important thing is how are you going to fund this enterprise? How are you going to fund this new endeavor? And so when I meet with candidates or when I decide to run myself for office, I ask myself this question. How am I going to do this? Who are the people that I'm going to talk to first? What, who's the low-hanging fruit that I can connect with? Who are the friends, the family members, the business partners, the, the folks that I went to college with, people that are in my LinkedIn profile that know me uh, very well and, and would give me a, a contribution if I just ask for it? Those are the questions that you have to ask when you decide to run for office. to Get that, that first layer of money, and then the real hard part starts because that's the easy part. And also people don't like to ask their friends and family members for money, but that's the easy part. The hard part is identifying people that don't know you that well and to convince them to give to your campaign. Or you can write the check out yourself. I mean, there are candidates that, that are rich enough to do that, but they're, they're few and far between. And even if you do have enough money to fund that campaign yourself, it's better to, to get a broad a group of people that support your campaign, that invest in you to buy into your effort. So on today's show, I have a friend of mine named Will Carley that I interview. Will is is a Louisville, Kentucky-based political consultant. He manages campaigns for governor. He's worked in states uh, all over the South, primarily. But I know him as being a fundraising expert, someone who I've talked with about putting together fundraising plans for candidates. And uh, what's the best way to, to call a donor and, and what's the best script to use and, and really what's the best way to follow up? Because what you'll learn in this business, what you learn as a candidate, is that the money is in the follow up. How do you follow up with those donors and make sure that they pledge to you on the phone, but that you actually receive that money? And Will is fantastic at that. He gives a lot of great advice on in this interview, and I hope you enjoy the show. Well, today we have Will Carley. How are you doing today? Great. Thanks for having me on, Matt. Great. Well, I've known you for a few years. Why don't you give, uh, give us a little bit of background about who you are and where you came from and what got you into politics? Sure. So uh, I started in politics about 16 years ago. Uh, I cut my teeth on uh, Daniel Monjardo's first U.S. Senate race back in 2004. Uh, actually, kind of a little bit of kismet happened. Um, I was a uh, hired as a finance assistant, which, as you know, is a very high-level job uh, on a campaign. I was doing a lot of data entry and uh, a lot of photocopying checks. Uh, and one of the weird things that happened after about two weeks of being there, uh, the campaign manager decided that he wanted to change uh, change up you know, how, how the fundraising was working, and he released the finance staff. Uh, so being there for two weeks, I said, hey, you know, I'm, I don't know what I did here, but I'd, I'd like to stay. And, you know, is there any way that can happen? Apparently, there was a little miscommunication, uh, and he's like, well, I didn't let everybody go, just one person. I said, well, everyone's left. And he said, well, congratulations. You're the new finance director. Uh, and some things like that uh, happen on campaigns, as, as you know, Matt, uh, from doing a lot of them. Uh, so very quickly, I was kind of thrown into how to do a lot of these things from start to finish that I was unfamiliar with. But we had some consultants that came in, and we had some great mentors and leaders on that campaign. Uh, and we gave Jim Bunning everything he wanted that year uh, and, and just barely lost by a few thousand votes. Uh, but yeah, that was 2004. On, that's 2004, correct? That's right. And that was uh, yeah. Bush's reelection year. And he was mm -hmm. very popular, um, still coming off, uh, you know, the, the terrorist attacks back then uh, and the war in uh, Afghanistan and Iraq. 
So, you know, after that, uh, I actually went to work for uh, Mayor Jerry Abramson's re-election campaign in 06. And then I was able to work for Jack Conway's first attorney general campaign. Uh, I actually served in Governor Bashir, Steve Bashir's administration uh, as an aide to the chief of staff. Um, and then I uh, ended up being the fundraising director and political director for Mayor Fisher's first run. Uh, then I ran Adam Eadland's campaign for auditor, became his deputy chief uh, once he was there, left for a public relations firm for a little while, but then ran Adam's reelect, uh, hung out my own shingle, uh, recently managed uh, you know, lots of different fundraising projects and consulting services for candidates uh, throughout the South and Midwest in the 2018 cycle, uh, and then came back home. Uh, in 19, I was the campaign manager for Adam Eadlin and Gil Holland's gubernatorial run, and then ran Heather French Henry's run for Secretary of State. Gotcha. So fundraising is something you just kind of got into. It wasn't necessarily uh, the very first, was it, or was that something from the very beginning you wanted to do, or, or just a specialty you, you I think into? like all kids of our generation at that point in time, I, I kind of watched the West Wing. And, you know, nowhere in the West Wing do they talk about fundraising at any great length. It's the, you know, really interesting policy side and the communication side and the political pieces uh, and, and real leadership. So uh, when I heard this job was open, I was like, well, maybe that's a way to get me into a different role. Uh, however, uh, it's been really good to me over the years because, you know, there's kind of a phrase in the game. Uh, it's, you know, fundraising people are first to be hired, last to be fired. Um, because money is so integral into being mm -hmm. able to run uh, a you know, strong campaign, to be able to communicate uh, with voters. Uh, mass communications obviously cost a lot of money. And also have the tools and resources and staff uh, it takes now to run a modern campaign. Uh, so fundraising has really been a blessing. And it's allowed me to make great connections with a lot of influencers and people that matter in the community. Uh, and I, I consider myself blessed to kind of fallen into it and been lucky enough to be successful at it. Well, I think what's interesting about your background too is the fact that you have you're running campaigns. You're not just running the the fundraising operations, and most campaign managers now don't come from that background. And I think that's very important because of budgeting, knowing where to put resources, knowing how hard it is to get that money. A lot of campaign managers now that are coming up are digital people or start out with just field, and they don't have the fundraising background. So I think having that fundraising background has to set you apart running campaigns. I agree with you there, Matt. You know, one of the most interesting things I've found, especially when I'm brought on a campaign as a fundraising consultant instead of a GC or a manager, is that a lot of people without fundraising backgrounds will sometimes build their campaign staffs backwards instead of, for say, having, um, you know, I'm going to raise, I need to raise a bunch of money. I need to hire a finance director and a couple people to get that shop up and running. A lot of times they want to bring on high level consultants that are paying, being paid a month or a campaign manager right away. That's very expensive uh, or communications people or some of these other pieces that really don't make sense uh, for anybody considering a run or, you know, being a part of a campaign. If you notice that there's not a strong fundraising shop in place when you get there, uh, the likelihood that that campaign is going to be uh, financially sound and able to go the distance is pretty rare. Right. And the, the better you are as a campaign manager, the more experience you get, the better judge you are when you go in to, to meet that candidate. If you want to work for that candidate to say, well, what have you done fundraising? Well, what kind of operation have you set up? What kind of groundwork have you set up with that first? If you go into something that's just candidates that are just ego based, they want to talk about their logo or talking about, you know, all those ridiculous things that, that really don't have anything to do with your campaign, but just with your ego, that's a warning sign. But if you go in to talk to a candidate that's serious about fundraising, that knows what the, the they knows the meaning of building that first, then you know you have a candidate that could win. And where we live, Democrats, it's so hard to win some of these races. You have to have those smart candidates that know what matters more than anything else. Right. So, and so, a lot of I was just going to say a lot of my practice, uh, you know, especially when I started off on my own in 18, I took on a lot of challengers in the South and Midwest, which is a lot like Kentucky, where we don't have a lot of ideological money uh, that, you know, people are just, hey, uh, you know, a lot of it's transactional or who's in power. Um, and so to talk to people, you would kind of be able to separate kind of the wheat from the chaff uh, in a lot of ways, because you would sit down and I would always ask them, you know, how much do you think your personal network is worth? 
Um, and, you know, if they don't have an answer for that, you know, number one, get one. But number two, that probably means you haven't given enough thought to what this campaign will cost uh, and how you're going to be able to, you know, run a formidable campaign. Uh, a lot of them are worried about Twitter or, you know, your logo, which right. you were talking about earlier, which is right. just not where you want to be. No, no. So when you sit down with a candidate, whatever, whatever level, whether it's somebody running for governor or for Congress or for state, you know, state legislative type office, you just mentioned the first thing you talked about, what is your net worth? You know, how much can you put into this campaign? If it's, if you can't put a lot of your own personal resources, what's really the next step that you tell them that they need to do? So depending on the size of the race, you know, I kind of give them a figure. So if you know, you're running for state rep, I would recommend, you know, do you think you have a personal network worth fifty to a hundred thousand dollars? You know, you say network. That's not just you say network, just so people understand. It's not necessarily what they pull out of their pocket. It's they're the people that they know, right? Family, the friends, yes. Right. So we'll get to that too. Um, and then, like for something as big as the United States Senate, let's say, I mean, you're really looking at half a million to three million dollars just for a primary election, uh, whether it's contested or not, because you want to be able to bank cash. So what we do if somebody says, well, I don't, I don't really know. So I like to sit down with candidates and some people will call it Rolodexing or debriefing. You know, there's lots of different terms for it, but basically it's me sitting down with you and saying, okay, let's go through your life story and let's figure out what each person, you know, number one, would they support you? Number two, if they would, how much money do you think they would be able to give and how much do you think you'll actually get? So, for instance, you know, going through your iPhone contacts, which is basic because those are your closest ones. But then like your LinkedIn profile, uh, you want to go through your church directory, your alumni directory. You want to think about who you went to high school with. Maybe somebody there's you know, really turned into a world beater and they've got a great network. Um, you want to talk to people that are, you know, maybe in you know, a civic organization, your Rotary Club. Uh, you want to data mine all those people. And then, like I said, give them, you know, a value. So once you do that, and that's not only, and this is a mistake too, some people just want to say, I'm going to ask, you know, my friend Jim for $1,000. Well, you want to ask your friend Jim for $1,000 and say, hey, do you think you have some other people you can go to? Could you raise me $5,000 as well? So you want two bites at that apple and ask to give and an ask to raise. Maybe somebody, and some people will say, hey, you know, I can't probably do that, but that might make them go out and raise a couple grand or introduce you to people that they think will also support you. Because you're trying to build off that network, a huge donor universe that's going to support you. So that's the very first thing that I like to do with donor or candidates is go through, you know, who their donor universe is going to be made up of. And what type of system do you tell voter uh, donors or not donors, but candidates to put all this information in? I mean, I think if, most people would say like years ago, Excel file, you know, which now it's kind of obsolete. And we didn't have a lot of uh you know, a lot of CRMs for, for candidates. What, what is your recommendation for candidates for that? I mean, some, some very low tech campaign will still use an Excel sheet. And sometimes, you know, you might need to, if it's cost effective, uh, if you're not raising a lot of money. However, uh, I would definitively recommend, you know, using a CRM like NGP uh, or Campaign Deputy, which actually is a Kentucky company. Uh, here they do some really great stuff as well and our competitor. But those tools allow you to, number one, track your donations, to communicate uh, via email, to take actions, you know, log all the information, make notes, all those things, and then pull reports and see where you are. So, I mean, if you're talking about a real campaign that's financially savvy and that's effective and efficient, that's probably the, you know, that's a tool you're going to have to have. It's not a luxury, it's a necessity. You, now you talk about NGP. That's for for Democratic candidates. Right. What about candidates that are running a nonpartisan race? Like I'm on the school board. What about uh, nonpartisan races or Republicans? What do they use? What or can you use Salesforce? Salesforce even things like that. Uh, you know, I've never used Salesforce for this particularly. Uh, I'm sure it has some applications. Uh, campaign deputy is actually a nonpartisan. Uh, group. So they're not, they're politically agnostic. Okay. So if you're a Republican or a Democrat, you'll have access to use that. Uh, however, some people on the Republican side that I know of, uh, they've used a tool called Aristotle. Um, it's <laughs> probably similar to an NGP um, uh, or a campaign deputy, but you know, again, that is a partisan tool. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Aristotle, they, uh, I've met those guys years ago. They're, they're uh, 
brilliant guys. And, and they're nonpartisan. They're Democrat, Republicans could use Aristotle tools. Okay, and, I thought they were in our firm solidly. No, they, they're both. In fact, uh, Dean Aristotle ran for Congress as a Democrat years ago. And, is a is an interesting story, uh, but yeah, it's so so you you basically want to, want to go through your Rolodex, you want to, to sort of get a number on on your contacts of what you want to ask them, and then of course and not just the initial ask, but what can also you raise, you know, like how much can you bundle, how much from your friends, and so it's sort of it's a networking situation is really how you want to think of it. And that's so many candidates I'll talk to, they want to initially go to, well, I'm pro-choice. So I want to just hit up everybody that will give the candidates that are pro-choice or pro-gun or whatever. What you really want to do is focus on your universe, your close universe to get that base of support financially. We call it low hanging fruit. People Mm -hmm. that know you, even if they don't agree with you all hundred percent ideologically, they're much more likely to give a contribution right. to you and, and maybe more than one because you're going to ask mm-hmm. a few times each person unless they max out. Um, but a lot of people make that mistake. They say, you know, what I really need to be doing is asking people I don't know, but that are pro-choice like me. Uh, so I want to get the Planned Parenthood list or I want to call right. people from, you know, now or NARAL. And those people don't know you and the likelihood that they're going to pick up the phone and talk to you isn't very great. And they're not going to give to you if you haven't raised money. Right. So that's what people don't understand. It's the people that don't know you need to know that you've raised money first. You know, if you haven't raised a whole lot of money and you come to me to give to your campaign for Congress and I ask you, well, how much you've raised so far? And it's like $20,000 and you've been doing this for six months. Well, I'm sure as hell I'm not going to get out my checkbook. Right. (laughs) It's like saying, you know, if your friends and family don't want to support you, why should I? Um, Right. So, yeah, that's a, that's a really great point you make there uh, when you do talk to people that don't know you and they ask, how is fundraising going? And if yours is bleak, you know, nobody wants to throw good money after bad. So uh, the likelihood that you're going to you know, change their mind by, you know, your charm and policies is highly unlikely. Right. And so kind of what we're talking about is a strategic sort of frameworks. What about sort of the tactics? Like they really, I think candidates get hung up on and, and I get hung up on myself. I just want to jump ahead to do the stuff, but you need to have some sort of message before you get on the phone. And so do you, do you work with candidates to say, okay, what's your campaign message in like 27 words, six seconds, three points type of thing before you start that fundraising? Because people are obviously going to say, well, why are you running? What are you asking? You know, uh, do you work with the message first before you actually get them on the phone? So we kind of, I do it in layers um, and we separate those lists. So when you create that initial Rolodex list, you know, we have tiers of them. So your family and friends, it's, Hey, you know, Matt, uh, I'm running for Congress and you know, you can give them the basic spiel. You know me, you know, I would love to get your support. Can you help? It's when you get into people that know them, maybe through a business relationship or know of them uh, that are kind of over in another group. Um, where you really do want to tool a message that's geared towards them. So if you're, you know, talking to, for instance, the trial attorneys, you know, you want to make sure that you're going to be able to relate to an issue they're facing, like protecting the seventh amendment or making sure that, you know, you would fight against caps on medical malpractice uh, Mm -hmm. uh, claims. Um, So yeah, you definitely want to start with a message for those groups because also one message doesn't fit everyone. You know, you might have somebody that's a pretty big liberal donor um, that you think you can just tell them, hey, I'm a Democrat or I'm you know, progressive and, you know, this guy's a bad guy. You should be for me uh, when really they need to understand. Tell me about why you're running, but also tell me how you can win and how you're being funded now. So we'll usually create a little checklist um, that, you know, bullet points that candidates can refer back to. Um, you know, for some of those questions that come up that are easy, digestible, accessible pieces for somebody on the phone in a two to five minute conversation that you're having initially will be like, oh, yeah, well, this is interesting. Tell me more. Or how can I help? Right. And I always try to, to tell folks, candidates, like either you have to understand donors' motivations. So the different layers, like you said, of people you're calling all have different motivations. Some people just want access. You know, at a certain level. Some people, it is a personal thing. Some people, it's just an ideological thing and they just need to get to know you, but you need to know the motivations before you get on that phone with them. Or I think it's good for me personally to know that motivation before I talk to you. 
uh, right. and ask you. So at least know. Yeah. I was, and one thing is a lot of times that people forget, um, you know, they'll get a, a candidate will get a bunch of call sheets from somebody that's inexperienced and they won't put any notes in there. So I always like to have a good, healthy note section. And you can pretty much rip these off the internet now from LinkedIn profiles mm-hmm. or other ways to find out like, hey, are they part of a board or a commission? Have they ever, you right. know, been part of a civic group? Um, you know, who's their donor history? Have they ever given to somebody that looks like me or, you know, sounds like me or, you know, has the same platform? So the more notes you have to be able to relate to who you're calling, even if you know them pretty well, will help you. Uh, so I would always recommend doing things like that to put you in the best possible place to succeed. And if you have someone working with you on your campaign, do you daily brief the candidates? Okay. These are the 50 people we're going to call today and sort of go through those, those names and just give a, a little briefing about each one before they get started. Do you ever do that? Yeah. So, I mean, at my level now, I'm not mm-hmm. as much in the trenches, but with the people I work with, Yes, we definitely sit down and say, all right, we're going to pull a specific list, you know, the night before the next day's call time. And we're going to, you know, send it over to the candidate and say, hey, here's who you're calling tomorrow. Familiarize yourself with these if you have time. Guessing that they don't have time or like the last thing I want to do at nine o'clock at night is look at call mm-hmm. sheets. Uh, a lot of times, you know, the call time manager will then sit down and say, this is Matt Wyatt, you know, owns a polling firm, works here does these things, has worked on campaigns, smart guy. We think he'll give you 500 bucks, you know? So that way they can kind of then read it over, ask a question if they need to, but then get on the phone. Because also call time's a volume game. Right, absolutely. And I know in some of the congressional races that I, one of the first things that I learned with fundraising that you don't want your candidate on the phone dialing a lot. Sometimes it's really helpful if that candidate gets a volunteer or something that's dialing in for them handing them the phone so they can just get more. Of course, there, there are now, now automated systems where you could do that now right. uh, as well that are pretty yeah, cheap. The double dial uh, yeah. is a big deal uh, because, yeah, you know, I don't really want him worrying about wrong numbers or things like that. If you have the staff uh, capacity to do that, that's great. Uh, there are, new, like, like you said, new tools that will do that as well. Uh, that, which that are, are very really cheap, helpful. unbelievably yeah. cheap, actually. Yeah, very affordable. Uh, very accessible and and actually pretty easy to use, which is really the key because if you have a bunch of people, and candidates are notorious for this, like learning new technology. I don't care if you're 25 or 65, they're like, what is this? Um, It's unbelievable candidates uh, as a species are weirdly untechnical. Yeah, and I think it's probably because there's so much going on else in their Mm -hmm. lives. You know, they're usually not only a candidate, they have a real job, they're, you know, a parent or a, you know, Mm -hmm. they've got, parents that they're taking care of. Uh, so yeah, but these tools are really easy to use. And like I said, they're accessible. So everybody can kind of jump in and right away and kind of make them work. Um, so when you coach a candidate, do you tell them, cause I, my problem also has always been, I get on the phone and I'm a conversationalist. And so I talk and do you, do you, uh, and I remember one of the most disciplined candidates I've ever talked to on the phone that I was like, Oh shit. Wow. He's really is Steve Bashir. You know, back in 07, he'd call me. It was like he was very intentional with what he was going to say and very excited. And then he got the phone. I mean, I never had a candidate that, uh, ro- like, I'm not going to say robotic, but disciplined in, in doing it. And it made me give him more money because I was like, man, this guy really knows how to work the phone very, very well. And that's, that's, a, that's a talent that you learn. What, how do you tell candidates to manage that conversation and move it along. Right. I, I, you know, it's, um, I don't think any call should last longer than five minutes in an ideal yeah. scenario. Uh, so it is, it's basically like, uh, yeah, we, we kind of give them that script. Hey, you know, hello, my name is I'm running for why I'm running, uh, what, you know, your gift will go to. So a lot of times we want to put like a, a almost what we would call an incentive. So I'm getting ready to make a big ad buy this week, or I need to staff up. I'm supposed to raise $50,000 on the phone today. You know, could you do a thousand dollars? So you make a hard ask within the first two minutes and let mm-hmm. them respond. Then if there's a negotiation, well, I don't know if I can do that, or I don't know much about you. Then you can, you know, pivot to some other things, but yes, the most intentional people know to get on the phone be nice and, you know, make a quick connection. Jerry Abramson was actually really good at that. 
where he would call and just say, Hey, it's your mayor. Uh, you know, I need a thousand bucks today. Uh, you know, I got to pay all these people so that, you know, you can get four more years of me. Um, you know, could you send it today? And we also want to make sure there are some things that everybody fits into that dialogue and that five minute call, which is, you know, number one, a hard amount. A lot of candidates say, can you help me? Well, right. nobody knows what that means. So if you, unless it's you're a passive aggressive, it's a totally bullshit, passive aggressive thing that people want to do. Yeah. If so I'm a millionaire and you somebody. ask me to help you. That doesn't mean that I'm going to give you the max. That just means like you asked me for help and I'm not sure. So maybe I'll write you a hundred bucks, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, so I always tell all my candidates, if you don't make a hard ask, you don't know what you're going to get. Uh, and if you don't know what you're going to get, we can't budget. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the other part is the hard uh, ask for the date. So a lot of times people say, Hey, would you give me a thousand dollars, Matt? And Matt says, sure. Oh, great. Oh, I'll have somebody send you an envelope or you can go online today at this website. And that's fantastic, except for the fact that Matt might forget about it and he's not accountable to it because he just said he'd give you $1,000. He might give you $1,000 after the election for all you know. So what you really want to do is say, hey, I've got a deadline of, you know, Friday, July 14th. You know, could you get it in by then? And as soon as he says yes, your finance assistant or your finance team will log that into those CRMs we're talking about, put a reminder on it. So at the 14th, that check's not there. They can cold call or not cold call, they should call him and say, Hey, Matt, you know, you pledged a thousand bucks by today. You know, do you think you can get it in? You can go online. We really appreciate it. You know, we're, we're trying to do this this week and that's why we need it. So those gentle reminders and pressures will make sure your money comes in, uh, you know, much more than, you know, a wing and a prayer and hoping that that guy remembers, especially if he's a bigger donor, because he's probably getting asked four or five times a week by different candidates. Right. Right. What I found also with the bigger candidate or the bigger donors financially wise is, is that, you know, they they actually get offended if you don't ask for a specific amount of money or for the max or for something. And they kind of know if you're a piker or not as a candidate and and will take you less seriously if you if you're weak on the phone or, or not very direct. And right. uh, yeah, I think they, they assume you're not sophisticated candidate, you know, big donors get hit up a lot. They know they have the resources. They're, they're giving money historically for a reason because they actually believe in, you know, democratic candidates or if you're a Republican, Republican candidates. Um, but uh, one of the things I've noticed too, is that even for people that aren't millionaires necessarily, if I call somebody or my candidate does, and you know, this guy makes $80,000 a year, but they say, Hey, could you, could you do $2,000 for me? You know? And that guy's going to say, pump the brakes. But at the same time, he'll say, well, I can't do that, but maybe like a thousand or 500, I could probably be in there. Right. If you could do either one of those, that'd be awesome. But here's the deal. He's going to go back and tell his buddies. Yeah. You know, Matt Wyatt called me the other day. He's running for school board, asked me for $2,000, you know, because he wants the appearance that he, people right. think he's worth that. Right. Um, and it's something that, you know, he'll share with people that are, you know, on the higher up on the economic food chain. Uh, where he's getting that same ass, but you know, then you didn't say, "Hey, would you give me two fifty? And he's like, "Sure, two fifty. But you know, you got to that five hundred thousand because you started high, and right. you you know flattered him in a lot of ways. It's an absolute flatter. It's the opposite of what I think people think of how people would respond to money questions. And a lot of people with fundraising, it goes back to their how they grew up and how they thought about money. You know, if money is shameful or if money is, you know, you don't want to brag. You know, a lot of those things are built into us is from the time we're babies. The time you get to be a candidate running for office, you're kind of screwed up with that sort of thing. It's like, I don't want to ask anybody for money because when the fact is, you know, if you make $80,000 a year and that person running for governor is asking you for $2,000, you know, it's flattering to think, oh, this person thinks I'm good for this amount of money. There's nothing insulting about that. It's the opposite. And um, so, you know, I think when you get on the phone, I tell people you have to be sharp as a tack, enthusiastic as hell, and a force to be reckoned with. You kind of have to have that sort of tone in your voice. It can't be, you know, very weak or very, like, shameful (laughs) or timid of how you're coming across because these folks that give to candidates a lot, you know, if you're running for state rep, you got to know that they're on the phone with the congressman. They're on the phone with people running for U.S. Senate. You have to get to a certain level so that they will take you seriously to write you a check. 
And so you have to up your game and know that you're talking to somebody that's probably on the phone a lot, you know, outside of your family and friends that is on the phone with professional uh, candidates. Right. And I would say this too. A lot of people think that when they ask somebody for a thousand dollars, 2000, you know, bigger money, you know, even if you're raising for super PAC, 50,000, 100,000, that these people want to have a long conversation with you. They don't, don't. you know, like, and it's not, you know, because you're not interesting, but they're also in their mind saying, I've got a lot of things to do. This 10 minute conversation has been nice, but a lot of candidates sometimes want to meander on and kind of, Oh, let me continue to talk to you because it's important that I talk to you since you're giving me this money. That means though, that you're not busy enough, you know, or, you know, you don't have enough Mm -hmm. to do that. You have time to waste talking about something superfluous. Um, and most sophisticated donors will know that and they'll be like, okay, I've even had candidates sometimes where I'm like, have to tell them, hang up the phone. You know, the donor is yeah. no longer interested in the call. Um, so yeah, I think, you know, people understanding, Hey, it's okay to five minutes is plenty of time to make a hard ass for a large amount of money and get off the phone. Cause if anybody said, Oh, you don't talk to me for five minutes and I had to give them two grand. That's, that's not going to happen very often. Uh, you know, they, they also have things to do. So you've got a candidate, they made the ask, they got somebody to commit $1,000. What do you tell candidates to do to follow up to make sure that they get that? So I like to have a template email that uh, you can usually send. Well, Campaign Deputy does this. Uh, NGP, you can do it, but it's a little bit more difficult uh, on how it Mm -hmm. works. But basically, it's so after call time, all those pledges that you got, you know, you plug in an amount and a date. And then it'll populate this template uh, in Campaign Deputy. So you can just send it out with that person. Susan, thank you so much for your $500 pledge. You know, uh, like we said on the phone, you know, I need it by July 14th. You know, please send it in with this envelope uh, that you'll be getting in the mail. Or, you know, click the link here to go to my active blue. Um, so I always like to do that. And then also those pledge reminders after a week, because that's usually we try to get a donation within seven days. So after mm-hmm. that week, if it's not in. After that time, the, the, fall, the fall off rate of them actually giving you any money after seven days is really a lot yeah. lower <laughs> to get it. Yeah. yeah. So we do the pledge chase every seven days where a finance team member will, you know, get on the phone and say, Hey, Diane, you know, really appreciate it. You know, we haven't got it yet. Is there any way you can send it in um, and be polite, but definitely be, you know, urgent because if they still think mm-hmm. it's not that big of a deal, they're, you know, going to pass you off again. Um, so yeah, those are definitely ways. So emails, uh, you know, back in the day for us, Matt, it was a fax, which is now totally Mm -hmm. outdated, but I thought it was humorous to say that we used to do that. Um, and then, uh, you know, even just a pledge letter, uh, that's still pretty old school, um, goes out with a business remittance envelope to say, Hey, let me make this as easy as possible for you. Um, and sometimes it's, you know, a staffer writing a handwritten note, just, Hey, was thinking about you. Haven't received this yet. Thank you so much for the pledge. Can you send it in? Some people like to do form letters, uh, also, but that takes bandwidth, time. You know, you're using your printer a lot more, and you're paying for postage. So sometimes I even find those handwritten notes from even a staffer. It mm-hmm. gets a better rate of return to come back because then it looks like you know I'm not part of some form process. Instead, right. you know, somebody took the time to realize my donation is not in, and I need to get it in. So setting up your follow-up is just as important as setting up what you're going to say and who you're going to say it to. So you, you can't just drop off the follow-up. That's got to be there or, or that money won't come in or a large part of it won't come in. And what do you say to candidates? I, I, candidates often tell me, well, we'll just have a bunch of big events or a bunch of dinners, which I always tell people, you're not, you know, having an event or two is fine, but you're really going to raise almost all of your money one-on-one on the phone or something. That's, that's a better bang for your buck than than spending money for an event and the time and resources it takes to carry on that event. How do you look at events? Uh, you know, kind of twofold. Um, there's some pros and cons. Uh, I'd like to say that, you know, 75% of your money is is going to come from call time. I mean, it's the most right. cost effective, efficient way to do it. Um, and also, you know, we're going to see a challenge with events, not digressing here a little bit with, you know, the new normal uh, after coronavirus. Mm-hmm. So we'll see. But in the past, um, yeah, I mean, a lot of people say, I'm just going to have, you know, this big host committee and, you know, we'll do that. And I'll raise $100,000 in two events. And, you know, mm-hmm. 
that really doesn't happen. Even when you have a host committee with pledges involved and pledges to raise, you might get 25 to 30% of your money at the event. Some of it you get up front, but then some of you have to chase anyway. Uh, and then mm-hmm. it's the cost. And a lot of people, if they want to have a big, nice event, like the host, like the main host, they want to spend three or four grand on food and decorations and Exactly. You know, it's always the it's always the candidates that want to have these events that you that want like this lavish thing, you know, where it's like instead of a chicken dinner, they want to have like a very well catered again, it's all ego based thing. And it yeah. sucks up all your money. So why even have an event? Yeah. Well, I think they forget, they get lost in it that hey, you know, if I'm going to raise $10,000 at this event, but I just spent 3000 you know, mm-hmm. you're getting seven grand, which is fine. But $3,000 in gross ratings points or mail mm-hmm. or, you know, direct voter contact. I mean, you just gave that up so that somebody could eat, you know, a beef sandwich. I mean, like that, who cares? Um, and sophisticated you know, donors almost, do know this shit. You know, they're like, why am I, again, why am I giving you money if I'm at this big fancy thing that I know is costing a lot of money? You know, they know right. sophisticated donors know that. I mean, my ideal situation is we go in with like some beer and wine that we've purchased mm-hmm. ourselves, you know, uh, and then maybe like a vegetable tray, some chips and mm-hmm. dip. You know, I spent mm-hmm. $500 on the whole thing and I raised 20000 you know, so. And you uh, make it your, you make it your stick for the, for the, you know, you have the kids say, look, this is cheap. This is chips and yeah. dip. You were dressed up. This is, this is the way You're I run that campaign. For, you're paying for me to be a successful candidate, not for me to throw a great party. Right. Uh, so yeah, I think people get lost in that a lot. Um, but I knew, I do think there is a system that says, Hey, I want to have as many events as possible because, you know, and not mega events, a lot of smaller ones where people, mm-hmm. so if I said to Matt Wyatt, Hey, have an event for me, let's look at your network. So a staffer would come over and roll it X to you the same way we did the candidate. And now, you know, you're basically, the onus is on you to get your people activated to come out, right? So right. now I've got 20 people that came to Matt Wyatt's event. Maybe we only raised 3,500 bucks or something, you know, or two grand even. But I just talked to a bunch of the people and three of them were like, oh, I'd love to do one of these at my house or have a breakfast for you. Uh, so you're kind of constantly churning through that, uh, you know, donor universe. You're kind of creating new donors as you go along. The only and they're putting on their social media. They're putting on their social media as well. So nowadays, so that's something right. like when I started, that wasn't even in existence. Yeah. So yeah, having the smaller, there's a huge 10, 10 time factor, multiple factor by doing smaller events. Using yeah, the network. force multiplier. It's, it's right. just how invested are the people that are doing the events. Uh, so, you know, instead of having a mega event where you have 25 hosts, it'll do two grand. I mean, sure, that's $50,000. But if I have all 25 of those, we give their $2,000 and then have an event at their home or a breakfast at their office or a lunch, at, you know, on a Saturday, then, you know, okay, well, I get the 50 grand plus maybe the 10 grand at each event or even five or three or whatever it is. But you're, you know, constantly raising money and you're also finding new people that will do these things for you as well. Gotcha. So, so we talk about events, we talk about messaging, we're talking about the follow-up and all of that. What about, you know, I have candidates that also ask, what about, you know, I just want to raise money online, social media and do all that. And I was like, well, you know, if you're running for president, that's one thing, you know, or even U.S. Senate in some places, maybe. Do you ever hear that where candidates just want to raise, think they could raise a bunch of money online? Every single candidate since online fundraising kind of became in vogue, you know, about 2012 really is when it took mm-hmm. off uh, on the presidential level. And then Bernie Sanders in 16, you know, it was like raises mm-hmm. just an incredible amount from low dollars around the country. And after that, every candidate was like, well, I'll just raise it online. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's insane. Number mm-hmm. one. Uh, number two, you know, those things happen very intentionally. Uh, you know, you have to have an email list. Uh, you have to have, you know, people that are buying into what your messaging is on that email list. Um, and a lot of times, you know, I've had candidates come to me and say, well, I've got, I'm like, how many emails do you have in your personal network? We'll say 300. Okay. So 300 times $25 and maybe they give it to you twice. You know, you have 15 mm-hmm. grand for the whole election. You know, like, 
well, you know, I'll get more emails. Okay, well, how do you do that? You know, and we actually do that by buying lists or doing a list rental or, you know, doing acquisition through digital ads, mm-hmm. how to, you know, get these email addresses and people to subscribe. Um, so, you know, almost for every dollar you're making, you're putting 85 cents in at first to get more emails. So, I mean, while, you know, for, for a little while, so until you build that list, but also most people, especially in like municipal races, like mayors, mm-hmm. uh, city councilmen, nobody, nobody's going to give you a bunch of money online. They're just not going to do right. it. Uh, right. It's when you have people like Mitch McConnell uh, or Lindsey Graham right now, or mm-hmm. um, you know some of these people where people just hate them so much and mm-hmm. are like, whatever, you know, Amy McGrath has done a, you know, a yeoman's job of that, building a list. Uh, my candidate, Charles Booker, also has done very well online. And a lot of it's based on who they are, but a lot of it too is based off, well, I definitely don't like Mitch McConnell. Um, right. Or they care about, you know, taking back the Senate. Um, so all these low dollar donors across the country doing those things, yeah, it happens, but it's not going to happen for your state house candidate. Right. And, and, and you're right. Your money is in your list, whether it's a business or whether it's politics. And, you know, I've been thinking, I've never used this tactic, but I'm wondering what your thoughts might be that if someone were running for city council in, I don't know, Paducah, and they were going to uh, run uh, four years from now, let's say, or let's say two years from now, and there are some local issues, would it be, would it be a smart or an idea to run digital ads and social media ads that about an issue that drives local folks to a landing page where you can collect their email, whether it's a, you know, you can have a survey monkey type of thing where they vote yes or no on certain issues, let's say potholes, as an, for instance, and you, you collect their emails and you sort of nurture that over the period of time, long before they run, but have it, you know, for local races, uh, drive people, for, for local issues to a landing page just to collect that data. Otherwise, I don't really know how you could reach outside your personal network. And so by the time you run, you've got a group of voters you, voters locally that you know that they, they support certain issues or oppose to certain issues, and that could be a list to start. Is that an, an idea? It's an idea. Uh, I haven't seen it work, I guess. Work, yeah. um, I, The proof of concept is not there yet, maybe, uh, at least for me. Mm-hmm. Maybe somebody else like, I do this all the time. It's fantastic. Um, what, what I was going to actually come back to, as you said, you know, lists and a, a really smart guy once told me that politics and life are all about lists. That's it. That's the only thing you have to know. Uh, because, you know, in a campaign, well, we have a fundraising list it has to be there. An email list has to be there. Uh, you know, a list of political leaders you have to reach out to, to do, you know, calls to them. Uh, or have meetings, a list of union organizations or, mm-hmm. you know, special interest groups that you want to talk to or constituencies. You have to have a list of voters that are going to be for you, you know, a list of possible voters. So everything in your life is a list, especially in politics. But, uh, you know, that's why you need to, before you run, even on the you know non-money side, literally sit down and say, you know, who are the people that are going to help me? How, you know, how effective can I be by using what we call assets in the campaign game uh, on those lists? You know, how effective can I be in using them uh, to get, you know, to my end goal, which is being elected? Um, so, yeah, lists are everything in politics. And if you don't have lists or you don't, aren't making lists while you're thinking about office, running for office, you should probably just, you know, do something else. Right. And to me, the best candidates are those that have thought, look, I want to run for Congress in the future. And so they've, they've gone out there or even state legislative areas and they've gone out there, they've targeted folks in their area that are influential people, whether it's fundraising or in their community. And they, they've started that relationship. They've gone to have coffee. They've sent follow up, you know, thank you cards to them, Christmas cards to them, that sort of thing, and, and built that relationship far in advance. I know people think that's manipulative or whatever, but that's, that's kind of what you have to do is build your network up of different folks, of influential folks before you decide to run. And, you know, even if you have a ton of money and you're going to use it for your campaign, if you don't have, if you're not known in a community among certain folks, you're going to have a much harder time being taken seriously in your campaign. So I tell folks it's, but, you know, if, if you think you're going to run in the future, start building that network of people. That's very, very important because when you start to the fund on the fundraising aspect of it and you have a bunch of friends that don't have a lot of money, that's really hard. It's, it's a really hard thing to do. 
Right. A, I think people yeah. that aren't civilly or civically engaged, I should say, um, have a much harder time running for political office because they are unknowns. And if, you know, most people that run for political office is because they are involved in their community. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, there are definitely some that just say, Oh, I'm going to wake up and run for the United States Senate, or I'm going to be a Congressman yeah. today. Uh, and they've never been to a rotary club meeting or, you know, participated at their local YMCA ever been to a neighborhood association meeting. Um, right. And so they don't know how any of it works. They don't know any of the people. They don't know who to talk to about how to fundraise, even finding people that are political professionals that can steer them in the right direction. They don't know about. So, you know, if you're going to be a real candidate and do things, I would definitely encourage you to get involved in your community and your neighborhood association and some of the things that, you know, the, the young Democrats or the party, even, even mm-hmm. those, you know, very partisan uh, organizations. But um, yeah, that, that way you'll be able to identify the real stakeholders and influence makers and be able to start to connect with them. Cause then you'll have something shared because most people also that are going to influence these campaigns or fund them are very active and engaged in the community. Right. Right. And, uh, and you work in campaigns all across the, you, you're, I mean, you're based in, in Kentucky, you've worked in the South, but you're willing to work in campaigns all across the country. Yes. Uh, you know, yeah. I mean, that's one of the weird things about our profession uh, is that mm-hmm. it, it's kind of nice. It doesn't really um, matter where your home base is because, you know, you can travel and do a lot of things remote uh, and also help a lot of people uh, in different places uh, that, you know, lack political professionals sometimes. Uh, a lot of my work uh, this past couple of years has been in Arkansas and Illinois. Uh, you know, I did a little work in Michigan, uh, did an attorney general's race in Florida. I mean, so there are definitely people that want outside help um, that maybe don't, like I said, don't uh, don't know or can't afford some of the bigger firms. Uh, I, I'm a sole practitioner. My rates are usually uh, much more affordable than somebody that's got to, you know, pay 25 people. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I definitely specialize in new candidates, um, people that haven't run before, uh, people that are unsure of how to staff up or scale up. Uh, so, yeah, but I, I've been all across the South and the Midwest, and maybe I'll get into the Western states uh, here in the next cycle. It'll be great fun. Yeah. Well, how does someone get in contact with you if they want to work with you? Uh, you know, I actually just use my Gmail account. It's probably the easiest. It's will.carly at gmail.com. That's C-A-R-L-E. Uh, or you can uh, get me on Twitter at Will Carly, W-I-L-L-C-A-R-L-E. My DMs are open, as they say. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, um, I'd be happy to talk to anybody that wants to make an inquiry or uh, learn more about my practice and, and how I can be of help. Great. Now, of all your years of, of working campaigns and you've worked different types of levels and you've worked for different types of candidates, what are three things you can think of that, that uh, pieces of advice you would give candidates that are starting out running for, for any office? Not just financial, uh, fundraising-wise, but just as a candidate. Um, I think some of the advice that I would give is, number one, you know, it's still tried and true, have a thick skin. Because whether it's somebody, you know, saying something bad about you, Mm -hmm. or even just somebody telling you no on the phone, you know, at a fundraising capacity, or maybe at the door when you go to Canvas and, you know, you're trying to tell them how Mm -hmm. great you are. Um, (laughs) You know, so be, be willing to deal with a healthy dose of rejection uh, even though you're going to get a healthy dose of adulation as well. Um, the second thing I think about a lot of time is, you know, be prepared, the old Boy Scout motto, uh, because a lot of people will, even seasoned campaigners and candidates, uh, will sometimes go into a race and, you know, you ask them for, okay, well, where, where are all the things from your last race? And they don't know. Uh, you know, they don't, they've lost a fundraising list or it's written down on a notepad uh, you know, they just were not ready. And, you know, yet you've sent out a press release and you've got all these things going on and it's like, nothing's ready to go. So always be prepared, save what you have from your last race, or if you have the infrastructure already on your email list or contacts, build that out. So that when you do sit down with a professional, you can actually engage, uh, in the right way. And I think the third thing would be, you know, always still, even though so much of this is going on, make some time for your family. Because those people, when you're dealing in this arena, you know, the people that love you the most are really needed. And I even say that as a consultant. Sometimes, you know, you have a really bad day. And I know that the candidate's feeling it uh, probably 10 times worse than I am. But, you know, I like to go home and just sit around with people that love me the most. And I always make time 
at night for them at some capacity, uh, just to kind of remind myself of why we're doing it, why we're fighting. And, uh, you know, it's really important, I think, for your mental health as a candidate and as a consultant. Absolutely. I mean, you said about thick skin is so important. I forget to tell people that because you should never believe people. You should never take too seriously criticism and you should never take too seriously people telling you how great you are. And in candidates, you get a lot of that. And it's, it's shallow. You kind of feel shallow, but also you should never really believe it. Yeah, it's Rudyard Kipling in that poem, if he says, you know, if you treat triumph and disaster, uh, you know, for the two imposters that they are, um, you know, that's kind of the mm-hmm. same as, yeah, everybody loves you and everybody hates you. Um, yeah. And after the election, everybody voted for you, whether or not you won or lost. That's true. Every single person Everyone, voted, for voted for you. Right. That's why you make them give you money. Because, you know, if they give you money, they're going to invest it in you. That's exactly right. And plus, I'll tell you know, what I tell people is, you know, if you can't take criticism right now as a candidate, you're sure as hell I'm not going to take criticism very well when you get elected because everyone, even if they voted for you, is going to criticize you about something. You know, oh, you're, yeah. gonna have, you're really going to get criticism when you're, when you're elected unfairly sometimes, much more than a candidate. Absolutely. So, <laughs> well, well, thank you for being on. You gave some absolutely fantastic practical and real advice for, for candidates running and uh, that uh, it's just getting, it's getting folks to actually take that advice and do the hard, there's nothing easy about raising money and there's no no real shortcuts to doing it. And you just have to get good at it. And, and no one would, no one asks candidates to love fundraising, but (laughs) if it it makes you literally vomit thinking about it, maybe you shouldn't run. You know, if, if you're physically ill, that candidates physically get ill thinking about it. But. Yeah, it's probably not for you. I really appreciate you having me on today, though, Matt. Thanks for no what problem. you do and for providing this great service and great commentary on politics. Thanks a lot. Well, thanks a lot. We'll all talk to you later. Yes, sir. Right, bye-bye. Want to learn more campaign secrets? Want to learn how to start raising money for your campaign, even during these uncertain and unpredictable times? You want to know how to craft a winning campaign message? Then you need my free ebook, Campaign Fundraising Secrets. Head on over to campaignfundraisingsecrets.com now. Put in your name and email, and you can download a copy of this easy to read and implement guide. While you're there, sign up for your free seven day campaign secrets challenge. They'll walk you through how to campaign in the middle of this crisis, creating your fundraising system, crafting a great campaign message and much, much more. I hope you learned a lot today, and I'll see you next time on the Campaign Secrets Podcast. Take care.